0: Thank you. Amen. Good morning. If the uh, children would like to go ahead to Children's Church, you are invited to do so. If you'd like to stay, there's staying as well. If you have a Bible, if you have a machine, you can press the button and find Luke 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn the pages. There are some Bibles over on the table. If you'd like to look at one, pick one up. Out on the table in the hallway are also other Bibles and other tracts and booklets. There's also a survey if you are able and willing. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Write down some thoughts that you have about church, and we would love to hear about that. There's also prayer directories that are available and schedules, sermon schedules, uh, for the next few weeks of April, and then we'll have a new one starting in May. Lots of things happening. Thank you, Lord. Lots of stuff. We are reading in Luke 16, and I will start in verse 14. 14 through 31. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, "'Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment.' But Abraham said, "'They have Moses and prophets. Let them hear them.' And he said, "'No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent.' He said to him, "'If they do not hear Moses and the prophets,' Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Pray, Lord, you would bless the reading and the speaking of your word this morning. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your word goes forth and it will not return to you empty. Pray, Lord, your word would accomplish that which you purpose this morning. And pray, Lord, your words succeed, succeed in the thing for which you've sent it. Pray, Lord, you would teach us to be obedient stewards from this passage. Not like the Pharisees. Bad example. Thank you, Lord, for your glory and your continued work in us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He has been wrestling with the Pharisees back in chapter 15 and 14. This is ongoing, ongoing issues between him and them. Chapter 16 began where he was teaching the disciples and he spent time, verses 1 through 13, about being a shrewd steward and being a faithful steward, focusing on the kingdom, love of God, not love of money. And in verse 14, the Pharisees hear this. They are lovers of money. They begin to mock and ridicule. Oh, look, there's Jesus going on, pious and mighty. Don't love money, blah, blah, blah. What's he going on about this time? Remember when he was up on the mountain? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the cheesemakers. I don't know what he's even talking about. Why are we listening? Let's move on. Get on with it. Jesus hears them mocking and ridiculing. He's got something to say to them. He's got something to say to their attitude. He has something to say to us. He begins to rebuke In a series, this rest of the chapter, verse 14 through 31, is one unit, a series of rebukes. He's unloading the kitchen sink, he's bringing both barrels to bear, and he's not holding back. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Let me tell you what I have to say. You could read this, and it seems like he's all over the place. First he's talking about law and prophets. Then he's talking about divorce. Then it's the rich man and Lazarus. Does Jesus have ADD? Can't he continue? Can't he complete one thought? But actually, there are two main ideas that he wants to drive home. And you find that on the back of your bulletin. There's two sections that we'll be dealing with having a right view of rules, having a right view of riches, being an obedient steward. And then next week he'll turn back to teaching the disciples, and we'll deal with that next week. Maybe Jesus has to rebuke you today for some of your thoughts, for some of your attitudes, for your priorities that need to get right. The Pharisees were a bad example They should have known better. Instead, they mocked and ridiculed. So Jesus is going to set them straight and pray that he's going to set us straight. He knows their hearts. The first thing he deals with is the relationship of them and rules, lovers of money. And he said to them in verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. The Pharisees were big lovers of money. They were big into themselves. They were lovers of themselves. For everyone to see in other places, Matthew 23, Jesus unloaded there. You hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. They were so solemn in their fasting. Look at me, I'm doing such a great job at fasting. Look how close to God I am. They would pray so loudly They would give so much money into the plate and make sure everybody saw and heard. They would travel very far in order to get a convert. They would apply extra rules for those converts that they wouldn't even follow themselves. They were whitewashed tombs. They had logs in their own eyes and they were so busy taking out specks of other people's eyes. They maintained an outward obedience to the law. They even added to it. They embellished it. They elevated it. More important to follow the law than God himself. I think a lot, my background and my upbringing, Sabbath, Shabbat on Saturdays, Sabbath rules, The fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And the Pharisees were able to make a gajillion other rules, regulations, everything to follow. I remember my aunt and uncle going on about and cousin, aunt, uncle, cousins talking about some of these same issues today. How far can you drive on the Sabbath? What kind of car can you drive on the Sabbath? Is there a reason that you should walk or drive or should you do a combination of both? Is it okay to listen to the radio while you're driving your car or not on Sabbath? Sabbath laws, kosher laws, and what's supposed to be eaten or not. This is what the Pharisees were investing their time in. Jesus says to them, you lovers of money, you are those who justify yourselves before men and you look good, but God knows your hearts. Not really obedient to the Lord. God sees the inside. God sees your inside. God knows your heart. Maybe you look good on the outside, I'm not saying you don't. But God knows what's happening in here. And you can't run, you can't hide. There's no place to go. They prided themselves on the best obedience, what is exalted among men. They prided themselves on the system that they had created, religiosity, churchianity, but God called it abomination. It is idolatry. It is detestable and revolting and arrogant. God is not impressed with how they are living. Not pegging very high on God's approval meter. God the name caller. God not politically correct. God calling sin for what it is. Abomination. You people are so obedient, verse 16. You people are so obedient to the law and prophets. If you knew the law and prophets, you would know that I am here and I fulfill that. They point to me and that time is over. I'm here. The king has come. And I'm preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The age to come has come in me. Like we celebrated at the table this morning, the new covenant—the new covenant is fulfilled. Everyone's trying to hear and get in. Everyone's trying to force their way in. At the end of verse, for, for, wow! Everyone's trying to force their way in at the end of verse sixteen. They were all pressing in. The tax collectors and sinners teach us more. Let us know there's hope and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And you Pharisees are mocking and ridiculing, claiming we follow the law. The fact is, in verse 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The law is good and right and and it will not pass away or become void, you Pharisees miss the boat. The Pharisees were to be obedient to God, in relationship to God, not about putting on a show, not about doing what's right on the outside and looking good, not whitewashed tomb or clean cup on the outside, dirty on the in, God sees hearts. He knows modern day fakeness, modern day Pharisees is an abomination. Obedience to the law should lead to Jesus and relationship over rules. The way that we live as citizens of the kingdom in purity and holiness and practicing righteousness and trusting and even when we prayed earlier even when things are difficult and you don't know what's going to happen and how in the world are things going to fit together and come about but God works and we are to trust and depend and have faith it's too easy to get caught up we all want to be modern-day Pharisees and caught up. Just give me, what am I supposed to do? Give me a set of rules. What can I check off on my list? And the love for rules become in place of love for God. How do you operate as husband and wife? By a list of rules. How do you operate as a family, parents, and children? Follow the rules. Rules have their place but it's about relationship first. In verse 18, he continues this idea. I can talk to you about Sabbath, Shabbat, or kosher food, but Jesus decides in verse 18 to give the example of the law and marriage. He's not ADD. This isn't squirrel. This isn't some other thought, but he's just using this as an example, again, rebuking the Pharisees, if you want to talk about divorce and marriage and remarriage, we can talk a lot about that. Jesus had a lot to say. But the point is that the Pharisees mock him. They don't even follow the law as they are supposed to. The Pharisees had a practice of divorce and disobedience to the law. I saw on the news this week, Nicholas Cage was married, his fourth marriage after four days, done with that. I was too drunk to know what was going on at the time. That's the reason we're getting divorced. Sounds like some of the Pharisees thinking. Is it okay if we get a divorce? Matthew 19, verse 3. Why did Moses command divorce? 19, verse 7. They had taken the law, Deuteronomy 24, and they had warped it, perverted it, bent it, wherever they wanted. God did grant divorce as a provision, as an exception to the rule. Divorce in itself, not a goal, not a command, and yet under some of the Pharisees, Rabbi Hillel, it's okay if you get divorced if your wife burns your dinner. And Rabbi Akiva said, if your wife isn't pretty anymore, you can get a divorce, you're okay. Hold on a minute. Verse 18 is the example that Jesus provides. Speaking to the Pharisees. If you're going to be dishonest with Deuteronomy 24, if you're going to be dishonest with practice of law and prophets, you're going to be dishonest with a little. Won't you be dishonest with much? You people, not you people, but the Pharisees, in in love with their money in love with themselves, and how that looked in their relationships. Kicking a wife to a curb just because she burned dinner, just because she may not be as pretty as she was. The Pharisees were misunderstanding the rules. They were misapplying the rules. They were making up rules. They were exaggerating and elevating the rules, prioritizing the rules over relationship God. That is all signs of disobedience. It stands in the way of knowing and walking with the Lord. The legalism of Sabbath, even today, the legalism of drink or don't drink, alcohol, no alcohol, Sabbath, marriage, (coughs) what do we wear to church, what to eat, very easy to get caught up in those things. God knows your heart. And maybe you need, just like they, maybe you need rebuke today for fakeness or getting off track or disobedience or having a wrong view of the rules. Obedient stewards know God and follow God and obey God in relationship, not idolatry of the rules. Then he gives them this story. As if that isn't enough, in verse 14 through 18, Jesus pivots. And we've heard this story. Maybe you've heard this before. The rich man and Lazarus, a popular story. And I've heard this used for a, I've heard lots of discussion as to this Is it a parable or is it real? Is this Jesus' teaching on hell and Hades and afterlife? Is this a guide to missions and evangelism? I've heard this passage used in lots of different ways. But it comes in rebuke. It is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees about disobedience. Being a good steward and obedient with riches and resources. The rich man's disobedience... Lazarus's, Lazarus, the example of obedience. Verse 19, the rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen. He was well fed. I got drink in my hand and toes in the sand and beautiful girl on each arm. It's five o'clock all the time for the life of the rich man. Life is good, except he looks over there. Verse 20, 21, ew, what an ugly sight. Lazarus, the poor man, covered with sores, the dogs licking their sores. How am I supposed to enjoy myself and my life and all my riches when i got to see that? Somebody shut the blinds. He loved his riches too much. What should he have done with Lazarus, the poor man? The rich man loves his riches too much, just like the Pharisees who love their money too much. Pharisees are the rich man in this story. They love their riches and their position more and they wouldn't lift a finger to help the poor guy who's in need of help. Jesus tells the story and here's the twist. The tables are turned, the rich man's in hell, torment. Lazarus is at Abraham's side. And he cries out, the rich man, show mercy, verse 24, have mercy on me. Yeah, just like you had mercy on Lazarus when you should have and you didn't. Just like the Pharisees didn't show any mercy when they should have and didn't. Oh, just send a message, verse 28. Oh, just send a message, warn my family. Even though they never bothered, he never bothered to listen or send a message, and the Pharisees never bothered to listen to any words that were spoken. Verse 29 through 31. No, we won't even listen to Moses and the prophets, which speak to them about Christ. How ironic. The Pharisees were the keepers of all that Moses and the prophets had said. And yet they didn't listen. They listened, but they didn't listen. Why are they going to listen now? And in this story, if the Pharisees are like the rich man, the poor man is like Christ. And they're not going to listen to the law, the prophets, Moses Moses and the prophets. Why would they listen to the poor man who suffered who didn't get treated right, who had sores, who is the messenger who comes from the dead bearing good news. Layers here to this story, there's symbolic metaphor and meaning. It was more important for the rich man to love his riches, more important for the Pharisees to love their money, ridiculing Christ's teaching They should have used their riches rightly, seeking first the kingdom of God, but it is the love of money that gets in the way of obedience. These verses are the rebuke that Jesus offers them. And by that negative example of the Pharisees, I'm turning it over to the positive. We are to be obedient stewards. Use our riches and resources rightly, use the rules rightly. What does obedience look like in your life? What does it look like in the life of your family? What does it look like in the life of this church? How to relate to the rules, how to relate to resources, how to relate to the Redeemer? Because that is what's most important. And we get this right all the time, don't we? We do not. We are born again. Thank you, Lord, for borning us again, birthing us again. And yet it is a lifetime of struggle, a lifetime of obedience, and fighting the good fight of faith. We falter along the way. But he has risen, and he lives, and he works in us through the Spirit so that we can keep these things in check. And Thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters in Christ, the community that helps keep it in check. If I go off the rails, you need to say something. And if you go off the rails, we, we need to talk about that. Our example is Christ. Christ is the definition of obedience, the perfect example. And as we walk in relationship to him, hopefully that will be shown in our lives. This is what Richard Sibbs said, last thing. This is what Richard Sibbs, great pastor. I like to read him and hear his sermons back in the 1700s, Puritan days. When we see the humility and obedience of Christ, when we look on Christ as God's chosen servant, as sure as he is our head, it transforms us to be like him, in a humility. And obedience. Lord, would you do a great work in our lives. Make us more obedient. Make me more obedient when it comes to riches and rules. Lord, would you do that work in us. Let's take some time and quiet. Reflect on these things. Don't follow the bad example of the Pharisees. Lord, what would you have us do with this word this morning?